0: Good morning, Uh, if you haven't met me, my name is Joe Johnson, and I'm the campus minister with RUF at um, Birmingham Southern, and my wife and I and our kids uh, go to this church and love this church. Just a quick warning, I did wake up with a little bit of a cold this morning, so uh, I usually am more upbeat, but I'm going to try, and uh, hopefully my voice uh, carries through uh, for the morning. Um, And if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you, so introduce yourself to me afterward. Uh, we are finishing up our series on Romans, which we've been in for a very, very long time. We're actually going to finish it next week. Adam is going to take us through the doxology and benediction of the book. Uh, and this morning, we're going to do the rest of 16, the first 23 verses of chapter 16, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And just a warning, um, this text is, is weird. Um, This is uh, Paul kind of doing some odds and ends at the end of the book. You've heard it said uh, numerous times in this series that Paul's letter is uh, kind of in two parts, 1 through 11. Chapters 1 through 11 is the gospel explained where he goes into detail about what Jesus has done for his people. And then uh, chapter 12, he takes a turn and starts applying that gospel to our life. Well, somewhere around mid-chapter 15, the letter gets very personal. This is a real letter from a real person to a real church. And so we're going to look at some of Paul's personal remarks, personal greetings near the end, and a warning uh, for the church at Rome. And this is um, a very tempting chapter to sort of skip over um, and to uh, maybe, maybe lightly skim as you move on to the next book in your Bible reading plan. But as one commentator said that I read this week, that Romans 16 may be the most practical chapter of the New Testament, Because it pushes us towards personal relationships with one another in the church. In other words, it gives us a glimpse behind the curtain of what the first century church was like. And what Paul was really like. And how the church cultivated a community where they needed one another to follow Jesus together. So we're going to talk about community a little bit this morning. And how to cultivate that in the church. So, let's read the text together with that in mind. Romans 16 and the first 23 verses. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at San Cray, that you may welcome her and the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her at whatever she may need for you, from you, for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, and to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, that he was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampletus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apalus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphana and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Perseus, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Isenacris, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermus, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Phylogus, Julia, Neros and his sister Olympus and all the saints who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine which you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naïve. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, and innocent to what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sisipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is a host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Arrest us, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortes. greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning. Uh, Father, this is a weird text, and, um, and you reveal yourself to us through it, and we don't deserve that. But help us to see Jesus more clearly this morning as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, It's very rare uh, when you come to preach that you're more nervous about reading the passage than actually preaching the sermon. So thanks for getting me through that this morning. Uh, My wife and I and family, we're in a community group. We're in the Stevens community group, and we really love uh, being a part of that. Um, If you are in one as well or looking to be one, I highly recommend it. And um, a while ago, and I meant to ask someone how long ago this was, but uh, our group went through the little book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called um, Life Together. And actually your um, reflection quote in your bulletin is from that book. And as we were going through it, actually before we started going through it, one night our leader of our group asked a question. And the question was, when was a time in your life that community was very sweet? When was a time in your life that community was sweet, where you had friends in your life uh, that knew you, that loved you, that that loved Jesus and wanted you to love Jesus more? Uh, When was that and what was it like? And it was really fun to kind of hear our group kind of share stories of, um, of different parts of their life and their past where they had sweet community, whether it was uh, they lived on the streets with a bunch of neighbors who uh, were all in each other's houses and in each other's lives all the time, and all the baby monitors worked in one house, and so they all kind of hung out in that house and how sweet that was, or um, missionaries telling us what community was like on the mission field, um, or college, or just some time in the past, when we felt like we had dear friends who loved us and knew us and we needed them. And I remember giving my answer. My answer wasn't very special at all. But I remember kind of being sad as I was saying my answer. And it was kind of a night of like, this is kind of fun and celebratory. But it was also kind of sad because we were all talking about, you know, past communities. Because community and friendship, the deep vulnerable friendships, you really don't know how good they are uh, kind of until they're gone. And you don't know how much you needed each other until you've kind of already left. Um, if there's office fans in the house, I love the, like the last episode, Andy Bernard says something like, I wish someone would tell you you're in the good old days before you left them. Uh, that's kind of how community is. As I was saying my answer, I said, I didn't know how much I love these people. I didn't know how much I needed these people. And I actually didn't realize that that was probably worth protecting and cultivating. And as we were giving our answers, we were kind of looking at each other like, I kind of want that community again. I kind of want it here. And I think this church has it. And it's one of the reasons my wife and I love this church. Uh, community is needed. We all need it. But how do we get it? And how do we cultivate it? I'm just going to go ahead and say, Romans 16 really isn't about community explicitly. Um, Paul is not giving us five points on how to make your church better at community. But implicitly, he shows us what it looks like. And what he shows us is something that we're going to yearn for and that we're going to want and that he shows us what it's rooted in. Because here's what Paul's going to say in these 23 verses in Romans 16, that we as the church are to love one another as we are loved by Christ. We are to love one another as we are loved by Christ. Another way to say that, you are so loved in Jesus that you are now free to love one another. And so as we walk through this text, I want to just talk about those two things. Our love for one another and the love that Christ loves us with. Our love for one another and the love that Christ loves us with. That's where we're going today. So first, Paul tells us to love one another. Uh, 26 people are greeted in this section of Romans. I am not going to go through all 26 of them. You're welcome, right? Um, There are a lot of people we don't know anything about. There are some people we recognize and can make some connection um, to a couple other churches Paul was involved with, or to the book of Acts, but a lot of it would be just sort of guessing. These are really just a group of people that Paul's sending greeting to at Rome at the end of his letter, which is not rare. He, did, he greets a lot of people at the end of his letters. What is rare is the amount of people that Paul greets. This is the most by far. And he goes on and on, actually adding a lot of detail to certain people in this. And the question is, why does Paul greet so many? But a better question is, how because he's never been to this church uh, It would make sense for him to greet this many people in Ephesus He's been there Or Corinth He knows it well But Rome he has not And yet he greets the most people in this church He does go to Rome later by way of prison But he has not visited this church before Well the names that we do recognize in this letter And that we recognize them from other parts of Paul's life He's met them on other missionary journeys <laughs> He's met them in Ephesus or in Corinth. They've served together at different places, at different churches, with different apostles. And so what he's greeting is a church that he actually does know, maybe not geographically, but he knows them very intimately because he's served with them. And as he greets them, it kind of sounds like a cold greeting, like even I was trying to like read it okay, but it does sound just kind of boring, right? Like greet this person, greet that person, greet this person. But Paul actually does... This is very intimate and affectionate. Uh, Four times he says that you're in Christ with me. Five times in the Lord. He calls them beloved. He calls them co-sufferers and co-laborers. He calls them brothers and sisters. And even one of them he calls his spiritual mother. I mean, this is Paul, right? And what's sort of amazing about him doing this is, at least in my mind, Paul is sort of the, the theology guy. The seminary professor guy, the guy who likes to read systematic theologies and talk about predestination and substitutionary atonement. He's, he's sort of the guy, I heard Steve Brown, the pastor, say once that when he gets to heaven, he'll hear Paul preach, but he wants to go fishing with Peter. right? Like He's not the most relatable guy, he doesn't seem very like warm and fuzzy. And yet, at the end of this letter, at the end of this masterpiece of a letter, Romans, he spends 23 verses basically saying to the church, I love you. I love you, Rufus. I love you, Mary. I long to see y'all again. And he doesn't do it in a sort of patronizing way where he's sort of Apostle Paul and they're sort of lesser people. But if you hear the way he talks about it, like they're with him and they've saved his life, they've ministered to him. He, in other words, needs them. And I kind of hope you hear that this morning. If you don't hear anything else, maybe this is like the most important thing that we can all need. If Paul wasn't a Lone Ranger Christian, you can't be either. And if Paul needed these people in his life, these imperfect people, this church full of sinners, if he needed them, then you need your church and community in your life. Paul is showing us that he's not a Lone Ranger and that he deeply needs these people. And this affection kind of culminates in a verse that makes every introverted Presbyterian nervous, which is verse 16, to greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, Brian Habig, uh, one of my favorite preachers in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, downtown press, he preached a whole sermon on verse 16. I'm not going to do that. Um, but it's interesting. That's not just a throwaway comment, uh, it's not just a phrase. It's not like a Christian side hug, right? Like, this is Paul saying, greet one another with a holy kiss. He says it four times in his letters the same phrase. And then Peter says it once in 1 Peter. So that's two apostles telling all these churches commanding these churches to greet one another with a holy kiss and the evidence suggests in the first century not only this is a real kiss but that this was actually part of the liturgy of the service the worship service of the first century church like that we do like a song and a confession of sin a song and a confession of faith sermon lord's table like one of those elements of the service would be to greet one another with a holy kiss i'm not suggesting that we're cool at red mountain right we're not going to do that but isn't that beautiful That Paul is sort of saying like, I love y'all so much, I need y'all so much, but also here's my command to you, that you love one another. And that you do this tangible thing to show that you love one another and that you need one another. That this isn't just a club that you come to, this isn't just a thing that you're a part of. It's not just a place that you come to be like intellectually stimulated by a sermon sometimes, but this is your family. Paul greets them as family. Because all of us need Community. But it is the one thing that we'll tend to run away from the most. Um, This has gotten better in recent years, but one thing that used to annoy me about my phone, my iPhone, is that there are different apps on the phone that you can't delete. And it's gotten better. The last time I checked, I looked at it this morning, is there's only like two apps now. You can't delete the wallet app, and you can't delete uh, the health and fitness app that shamed me. But... uh, there used to be a lot of apps you couldn't delete. and it, I'm a, kind of a minimalist, and I want just one screen, and I want just the apps that I use. And it used to just really frustrate me that I couldn't delete some of those apps. And you can't delete them because the software engineer or whatever, like, they, they wrote that into the DNA of the phone. And to get rid of those, would, you would have to destroy the phone. And in, a, in a different kind of way, that's us and community. It's written into the DNA of who we are. In other words, we're made in the image of God. And what is God? God is a triune God in fellowship and community with Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're made in His image. We aren't made to follow Him and be with Him alone. We were made to be with Him and enjoy Him with one another. A people. Um, heaven will be, not be a bunch of individual mansions where we have everything that we want by ourselves. We will be together in heaven too. Worshiping God forever as His people. We need one another. And it's the reason why my daughter cries for someone to play with her. Even though she has great toys all around her, she can enjoy them more with the presence of me or a friend or someone else. And it's the reason why college freshmen show up and they've been waiting for college their whole life. They cannot wait. And they have the freedom and they have the dorm and they can go out and they can drink and their mom's not going to call them and it's going to be great. But on a Friday night is the most lonely time ever because although they have everything they've ever wished for, the one thing that they probably have not done is developed life-giving vulnerable relationships with people around them. Surrounded by people, utterly lonely and depressed. Because they denied themselves a thing that they were made for. We actually need one another to follow Jesus. And we show each other in our diversity something about God that we couldn't get anywhere else. Um, I'm I'm not going to go through this list because that would be painstaking. but, But just some stats about who Paul greets here. It's incredibly diverse. Nine of the people that he greets here are women. Which I know that's less than half. But this is first century now. And he's greeting the leaders and the influential people in this church. Nine of them women. And actually the people he spends the most word count on are the women. And this church is very ethnically diverse. The majority of these names, uh, linguistic scholars will say, are Gentile names and not Jewish names. Meaning that there are people here with a vast array of backgrounds worshipping together, Jew and Gentile coming together in different house churches, greeting one another with a holy kiss. I thought this was crazy. I have no idea how they know this. But linguistic scholars will say that the majority of these names are slave names. Or freed men and women in Rome. And two of these names, Aristobulus and Herodian, those are imperial household names. Meaning the poorest people in Rome and the richest people in Rome are in one church together. Greeting one another with a holy kiss. And what that's beginning to show us is the poor people need the rich people, the rich people need the poor people, the Jews need the Gentiles, and the men need the women. We need each other in our diversity to see the God whose image we bear. And so at Red Mountain Church, we need hurting people and broken people to know the God who brings redemption to this place. Uh, We need single people to show us Jesus and his love for others. Uh, We need married people to show us the true bridegroom and the true Jesus who loves this church. We need children, and we got children here, but we need them. We need them to run around the sanctuary. We need them to wiggle in their seats. We need them to disobey during godly play. We need them here to show us what Jesus really meant by the kingdom of God is for these. Uh, We need the sick to show us the great physician. We need those with special needs to show us the joy of the Lord and the sufficiency of his strength. We need the dying at Red Mountain Church to show us the hope of the resurrection in Christ. We need each other. And so here's our question before I move on to my second point. How can you lean into this community more? And I'm not, I've only been here for like a year and a half. I'm not calling out this church. I actually think this church does this really well. It's why my wife and I love being here. But I wonder if for you individually, how can you think about buying into this community more? Maybe that means joining a community group. Maybe that means reaching out to someone and having them over for dinner. Maybe it means having someone to breakfast every week for a couple of weeks, just asking them how they are. Because you know no one's doing that to them. And you also know no one's doing that to you. How do we buy into this family? Leaning in, bearing one of those burdens. But then also, I also want to reverse the question in a sense, how can we invite other people into this community? And again, I'm looking back at this list, but, but when you look at this list, none of these people are pastors. There might be some deacons and some elders in here, but but these are lay leaders of the church. Paul's not greeting a bunch of other apostles or a bunch of other preachers. He's greeting the normal church members. And yet, he's talking about their ministry like they're all-stars, equating his ministry with them, co-laborers and co-sufferers. That in other words, the, the ministry of the church is done by the people of the church. And so how can we invite others into this community, making room for those that are very different from us, being uncomfortable by them and leaning in and inviting it into the community, the life-giving community that they need in the church. We need one another. I, I need you. And crazily enough, you need me. How can we buy in more? All right, so Paul tells us to love one another. But then second, he roots it all in the love that Christ loves us with. Um, This is starting in verse 17, but Paul ends his greetings. He'll pick him up a little bit later by sending greetings from eight people to the church. But before he ends, he gives one last warning, uh, which might seem kind of weird. It kind of comes out of nowhere, but it's pretty typical Paul. He kind of ends his letter sometimes with one final warning that didn't really fit into the, the letter, as it were. But he just kind of has one more spiritual anxiety for this church. And the spiritual anxiety he has for Rome... Is about division, which makes sense that after he greeted these people that he loves and this community that he loves, he's nervous about them dividing. And what divides a church, Paul says, is false teachers, which is kind of an unexpected direction for him to go. There's nothing in Romans so far that suggests there's false teachers. Um, But basically what he's saying, I think, is if they're not there yet, they're coming. And there will be people who come, and they will be smooth and they will be flattering and they will come and divide and they'll do it for their own gain they will say something and teach something that is so close to gospel but it's just a little bit different I had a professor say that every church heresy that destroyed the church it wasn't some crazy idea it was so close to orthodoxy it was so close to gospel but just a little bit off that it destroyed the church And so he's saying look out for these people they will come and so what do we do? he gives two things in verses 19 and 20. And in verse 19, he tells us to know the gospel. He says this in verse 19, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, and innocent as to what is evil. This isn't just Paul saying, do good things and stay away from bad, though he is saying that to some degree. But what this is saying is, know the real thing. Know the real Jesus. Know the real gospel. Know real grace. Know it. At the back of your hand. You kind of get what he's saying. He's just written Romans, right? He's painstakingly told them what the gospel is for 16 chapters. And now he's saying, know this. Get this into your bones. This is the real thing. This is what your soul longs for. If anyone says anything different from this, run away. Be an expert in this. And don't even be a beginner in what else is being taught. This is the real thing. (coughs) I've heard this illustration I don't know if this is true or not but I've heard it enough that I'm just going to use it um, like in the, in the treasury department the way they train people to look for forgeries and currency is not the new techniques and forgeries but to know the real currency so well that they can spot the fake right? to know the accurate so they can see what's false Paul is telling us to know the real gospel to know that Jesus' blood is all that you need To know that his grace is sufficient to bring you home to know that you've been clothed in the righteousness of christ not your righteousness it's jesus's know the real thing but then the second thing he says about false teachers is even more comforting infinitely more comforting because he leaves us with a promise in verse 20 this might be one of the best verses in romans and it's in chapter 16 but listen to this. This is what Paul leaves him. This is the last thing he says before he greets him and, and does a benediction. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's not telling them anything to do, is it? That's telling them what God will do for his church. That at the end of the day, no matter what happens, God will crush Satan. And Romans ends in the way Genesis begins. the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the downfall, was the, what brought sin into the world. Now he's saying, no good, and stay away from evil. He's talking about redemption, reversing the curse. And who reverses the curse? It's the God of peace Himself who will crush Satan. Genesis three fifteen, the promise of a seed of one will come and crush the head of the serpent. Who will do that? It's God Himself. The one who took on sin, the one who took on death, the one who clothed us in his righteousness, he will also stomp on the head of Satan. And do you even notice where the victory is? It's under our feet. His victory is ours. What this is saying in the words of Sinclair Ferguson is that God's love for his people turns violent here. That there is nothing that can stop it. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. We can endure Satan's wrath because his doom is sure. And here God's love turns viciously violent to rescue his people, stopping at nothing. Um, there's a book in our house that we read to our kids. Oh, we haven't read it in a while. Sam's almost getting to the age where we'll read it again. But Good Night Moon. Anyone know that book? Um, it's not that great. It's uh, it, a... <laughs> A couple of words on the page, but our kids like it. And there's another book that that woman wrote that's less famous, that's pretty good. Um, better is uh, Runaway Bunny. Does anyone know that book? Oh, was so good. Um, Runaway Bunny is about a little bunny who tells his mom that he's going to run away, and the mother says, "If you run away, I will chase after you." And then the little bunny says, "Well, if you chase after me, then I'll become a fish." And I'll swim away. And the mother says, if you become a fish, I'll become a fisherman. And I'll catch you. And he says, well, if you become a fisherman, then I'll become a rock on top of a mountain. And you can't get to me. And the mom says, if you become a rock on top of a mountain, then I'll become a rock climber and get to where you are. And on and on and on. It ends with the little bunny saying, and then if you do all that, I'll become a sailboat and I'll sail away from you. And the mother says, if you become a sailboat, I'll become the wind. To bring you home. And at the end, the little bunny kind of gives up and says, well, fine, I'll just stay and be your bunny. Okay? The mother's love that knows no end to rescue her children. God's love knows no end to rescue his people, to become man, the son of God, to take on flesh to bear our sins, to die in our place, to clothe us in a righteousness that is not our own, to ascend to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And then what is the great hope of the church? What are we waiting for? That he comes back and crushes Satan at our feet, that we may dwell with him with no sin, no death, no sadness, nor pain anymore, but to be with him as what? His people. How can we love one another When we more deeply understand God's love for us, we do not deserve it. Yet he gives it freely to his people. And so what does this mean? It means that the great hope for Red Mountain Church and all the church in the world is that one day, someday, Jesus is going to crush the head of Satan and his grace is enough to bring us home. This is going to be a weird year for Red Mountain Church. We're going to get a new pastor probably and a lot of things might change. And what are we going to do? What's it going to be like? But at the end of the day, you know what? Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent. And his grace is enough to bring us home. Ministry is hard. In a world where the secular worldview is the worldview of the day. And the church being thrown aside. Christianity being thrown aside. And we could worry about that all we want. But at the end of the day, you know what my hope is? That Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent. And His grace is enough to bring us home. Marriage is hard. Family is hard. Singleness is hard. Kids are hard. Relationships are hard. Work is hard. Money is hard. And all those things are really worth worrying about to some degree. But what is the great hope of the church and the community of God's people? Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent. And His grace is enough to bring us home. That's what Paul roots the community of Rome in. And that's what we must be rooted in. We are loved perfectly. Now go and love one another. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for even texts like this uh, with weird names. And um, with things that we, we are tempted, especially me, to skip over. Uh, but gospel is gospel is gospel. And you have revealed yourself to your people through your word. And so, Lord, help us be a community that reflects you. That bears one another burdens. And that rests... your perfect love for your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.